All right, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Seven Figure Prospecting Bootcamp. This is a cohort-based sales program that I put together and run. Uh, most people right now, uh, salespeople, SDRs, founders, AEs, sales leaders are struggling to hit their pipeline goals. Uh, they're trying to solve it by winging it every day. They might read a sales book. Uh, they might take an on-demand course that leaves them really craving some some one-on-one -on -one attention and coaching. And so that's why I created this bootcamp. Uh, it's 30 days, intensive coaching, uh, cohort style run by me. So uh, every week you're going to get live calls with me teaching you the fundamentals of prospecting, uh, how to sell to the problem, cold email, time management, cold call, all that. Use your sales tools to build massive amounts of pipeline. Uh, you're going to get office hours with me where you can get one-on-one -on -one coaching. We're going to have amazing guest speakers. Former speakers have been Ian Cognac, Samantha McKenna, uh, Justin Walsh joined us one time, just some badasses in the space. Uh, and then tap into community. You got dozens of other like-minded salespeople in the trenches with you learning and growing um, that you can learn from, that you can chat with, that you can build community with. Uh, so that's all packaged together. The next cohort starts January 2nd. Love to see you there. Uh, exclusively for podcast members, uh, people that listen to the podcast, you can check out the link in the profile or on my LinkedIn page. It's also on tasales.co. But if you type in the code podcast, you will get 20% off your order. So go check out uh, at the checkout line. Use the coupon code podcast. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T to get 20% off. All right, now to the episode. All right, here we are. Another episode of the Millennial Sales Podcast. I am your guest host, Blake Hudson. And today we have joining us, Zoya Ziegelbacher. I'm so excited to chat with you. We've had the chance to catch up here lately, uh, but this time we're going to record the conversation and see where it takes us. Zoya, how are you feeling today? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be on here too. I'm we're excited uh, to get it recorded. We're keeping it going while um, our good friend, host of the podcast, I say good friend, host of the podcast, Tom Lane, will get some stuff done. Um, and I'm doing my best to fill in for him. So Zoya, why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself, your role, and then I've got some, I've got some great questions. I'm excited to dive in with you. Sure. Yeah, I'll get started with, uh, I guess, myself first. I'm living in Los Angeles. I moved here about six-ish, seven-ish months ago. Before that, I was in the Bay Area. Uh, I spent most of my career either in the Bay Area. I did a quick stint in New York, um, and I'm from New Jersey, so a little bit about my regions. I consider myself pretty bi-coastal. Um, I'm usually on the West Coast in California or East Coast in New York or New Jersey. Um, for my job, I work at Gong. I have been there for just over three years. I started as an SDR manager. Uh, at one point, I was an ISR manager, inside sales rep, and now I work in enablement at Gong. Yeah, and that's exactly where I wanted to go first, enablement. It's almost like this uh, magical elixir. Like, what exactly do you do in enablement? I know, because, you know, I've been in that world before, but a lot of our listeners don't, maybe they haven't interacted with it at all, but can you give us like your definition of enablement? Yeah. Uh, so shorter definition, I'll give both. I'll, I had a, uh, a really nice explanation shared with me recently on like an entire uh, ops org 
which is what I'm part of at Gong. Uh, enablement rolls up to ops, and it's common at a lot of companies for it to roll up that way. Um, my short summary is that we as enablers are basically there to serve our customers of the company, which would be the salespeople. So we're in a role where we're trying to figure out what salespeople need to do their job efficiently, what salespeople need to know, um, things like that. But if I were to kind of like orient it around the, the whole uh, ops team, uh, so my my VP of ops recently explained it this way. I don't know if he coined it or, or not, but credit to Brian Bayless for explaining it to me this way. And I really liked it. He said that you can think of it as there's the what and the why. And so the what and the why would be the strategy team. That would be like your, your leaders, right? Your VPs, they're often the ones who are responsible for generating the strategy. There's your how, and that would be like your sales ops, your revenue ops team, go to market ops. Those are the folks who are figuring out like how we're actually going to scale this or how we're going to use XYZ technology to accomplish the different parts of the strategy. And then you've got the who, and that's generally mm -hmm. where enablement comes in. So what's the audience? What do they know? What are the gaps in what they know? Um, who's going to share it with that audience, right? Like selecting speakers. Is it going to be you who's facilitating? Uh, and the whole like production of putting on a show <laughs> basically yeah. uh, to, to enable the team or, you know, a training or like whatever, whatever the purpose is of uh, what you're bringing to your, your customer, um, the sales. Do you think it's fair to say, or perhaps is this too overly simplistic or maybe I just missed the mark at all, but like professor of sales. In a, in a I like. I like professor of sales. I, when you and I talked, you described it that way. And I think for sure, I, I also think there's different, um, like styles of enablement too, and like different functions. Like there's the professor of sales, which I think of like, uh, like a facilitator type, right? Like you, you stand and deliver a presentation, you whiteboard, you lecture kind of a thing, right? Those similarities. Um, but there's also another type of sales enablement where you're really focused on like cataloging the learning and like the learning management systems and making sure that people can get the content, right? The content management systems. Um, and so like I've noticed there are some people in enablement who might not have a background in sales, but they have a background in like librarian studies and things like that. Um, so I think there's those two kind of, um, kind of angles. Um, and then there's also like the leaders sometimes of the enablement teams, right? I think they're like more connected to the strategy sometimes, right? They're not quite facilitating. They're not uh, doing the cataloging and the like, you know, librarianism. <laughs> I made that word up, I think, um, but they're, you know, they're leading the team and they're, they're thinking about like you know, how, how we're going to make the function actually run. Um, and I actually think there's maybe like even one other type of profile that like gets into enablement or like who's, who's doing the enablement. Um, and that's like, sometimes people with like backgrounds in instructional design or like, like adult learning, I guess that's kind of similar to the professor, um, analogy, but 
I think it's like approaching it from a scientific way rather than like, here's the knowledge I have, I'm bestowing it on you, or here's the knowledge that the company has, I'm putting it in a format curriculum type thing. Um, the people who are really into like the design and like the slide building and yeah. things like that. And I'd say for the most part, everyone in enablement is kind of a generalist, but you start to notice that people have their specialties. Yeah, generalist role, specialties within. It's interesting you mentioned instructional design. Uh, for those that are interested in sports and football in particular, there's a, a slow but subtle move into having instructional designers on a football team and a football uh, organization. Very, you know, put very simply, they're teaching coaches how to teach. And it's fascinating to see because you have these coaches and there's this intergenerational sort of teaching that's trying to take place. And uh, there's some gaps, right? A, a coach typically reverts to screaming and yelling and do better. Mm -hmm. And that's worked for a while. But if you want to win, if you want to be the best version of yourself, team, football or sales, otherwise, you got to learn how people learn best. Uh, you mentioned backgrounds and the various backgrounds in sales. And I'm glad we got to like the end part, but I want to take it back a pace. You went to Cornell. Right. And I'm curious to know how your time in Ithaca impacted the way you think of sales and your career in general. Uh, specifically, there's not that many Ivy grads in sales. And so I just want to know, like, what made you go into it and then how has that informed the way you go about doing the work? Yeah, um, I would say so, like, if I back it up uh, to, to Ithaca, well, actually, wait, first, I want to challenge that. I actually think. A lot of uh, a lot of people that I went to school with are in sales. It's just not called sales. Like, you know, if they're in finance or like I don't know, like investment banking. That was like a, a profile that I interacted with a lot in college. Um, I mean, I feel maybe if you're in in STEM categories you're not selling quite as much but even your ideas right like if you are like if you've come up with a new way to do something or if you've come up with like a new like you work in pharmacy and you have you know something that yeah. you want to share or bring to market it's not your job to sell it but you have to like sell it to someone you know so I actually think um and a lot of another a lot of people in my network became like founders and entrepreneurs so yeah. a lot of them are selling they just don't know it or or maybe <laughs> they do too um but yeah, if I back it up, uh, I started in school like at Cornell thinking that I was going to study chemistry. I did not. <laughs> uh, I learned pretty quickly that I really enjoyed it in high school. And in terms of like the practical application, I was not enjoying it. Uh, I found it very tedious. I didn't, I'm not as meticulous as my classmates were. Um, and I just like looked around and I, I saw like how people were spending their free time and what they were excited about for the summer. And it was very different than uh, the things that I wanted to do. I didn't want to be in a chemistry lab like my summer. <laughs> um, so I transitioned. I applied to change my major and I got into the School for Hospitality Management. Um, and so there I met a lot of very entrepreneurial people, a lot of people who uh you know, had plans to start their own businesses or like uh, some of their families like owned hotels and things like that. Like very, very cool. 
Um, at that time, I can't say that I was thinking about those things. I was very focused on get my degree, find a job. Uh, I graduated school with very, very high student loans. Um, and so making money was up there on the priority list. Paper. Make paper. That was the... the <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is a very <laughs> nice, succinct summary. Um, and I, th I thought that I would go into fundraising. Uh, while I was at Cornell, I was doing fundraising, uh, both for the annual fund. So that's just like cold calling, uh, families, right? Hey, your kid goes oh. to the school, support, give back. Um, but then I also started working, uh, for the university, like in a, in a part-time and then a full-time capacity, uh, for major gifts. So I was supporting major gift officers. So they were nurturing relationships with, uh, wealthy alumni and, you know, eventually making an ask of those uh, who they were nurturing. Yeah. And so I got to see how that worked, like the relationship building. And um, you and I were talking recently actually about like, um, you're talking about campaigning, campaigning and fundraising are similar. Uh, yeah. You fundraise, right? For your campaign. Um, so it, it was sales, right? Like it was selling a vision of what the school could be if they were to invest more time or invest more money or a gift or something like that, um, you know, it just wasn't a physical product or like a software product. So that was, I guess, my first run with sales. Um, and I went from doing that at my alma mater to doing that at Stanford. Uh, I was a development associate uh, right after college or not right after, but a year after college. And I was living in Palo Alto and the role was uh, interim. Anyway, it was like interim with the potential to extend it. And I was meeting all these people who were in like tech, like startup roles. Mm -hmm. And they had these really interesting, they had like fake, not fake titles, but like, you know, like made like fun uh, I'm trying to Chief think because we don't really do this anymore. Yeah. Chief <laughs> fun officer. Yeah, exactly. They had like really fun names or I was like, what, what do you do? And they're like, yeah, I, I like do this. And like, I have you know, like lots of responsibility, right. A, a very like silly, playful title. And then they were like, yeah, I'm like the only person at my company responsible for the entire people organization, or, you know, I, I do business operations and that could be anything from, you know, joining my CEO in like a fundraising meeting to, you know, whatever, whatever else. And I was like, whoa. If you thought that... enablement was the the <laughs> black circle of like, what? Yeah. Biz dev is like its own like world galaxy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To this day, I still don't, I still don't <laughs> fully understand it. Um, I've never done it, but it was, it, it sounded so exciting. Like I, I thought like, I, I have a lot of energy. Like I, I have a lot to give. And I was giving, you know, I was giving a lot to my my job at Stanford too, but um, things just move at a different pace. Like a startup space moves extremely quickly. And I was like, I want, I want that. Uh, so that was, that was how that uh, story arc went. And from there, you know, like it's just been uh, consistently software tech sales. Man, that is, what a fascinating story. And 
it's just so interesting how this is all rolling into itself. I kind of planned it, but like didn't quite plan it for this way. <laughs> but you talk about how you transitioned those ideas, that experience, that background, which really quick sidebar. My girlfriend actually had a very similar story to yours. She was actually going to go to Cornell, I think run track there, major in chemistry. And then she very much realized like, this ain't it. She ended up going to Northwestern and uh, she did band and chemistry. And she eventually switched over to religion, science, health and medicine, which is kind of like a sociology degree. But uh, it's just interesting to see. Uh, you're not the first person I know, nor the second, to uh, <laughs> realize that Kim is maybe not it for for right yeah. now. Yeah, no, no, it wasn't it for me. That's for sure. <laughs> it's it for somebody though. Shout out to yeah. all the chemists. They're yeah. doing the God's work out there. Um, so you you took those skills, that experience, and you kind of used it to navigate into this this new world of tech and startup. I'm curious to know, and I think the audience would be curious to know if they looked at your LinkedIn, you have made stops all throughout the sales org. You have been an SDR, you've been an AE, a manager, and now you're in enablement. And the easy question to ask is like, wh what advice do you have for people trying to do that? And I, I could answer that. You could, I could ask that you can answer that. But I want to go a layer deeper because a lot of people look at that jump, they look at that path, and it just feels so complex to them. It's like, well, okay, that worked for Zoya. She's awesome. Uh, how's that going to work for me? Like, what, what's the Blake plan? And so I'm interested if you can help make this tangible for people, make that sort of career path practical, and, and tell us what were some of the commonalities throughout those roles? What are the things that I can do today as an SDR? to make and traverse this path, you know, like you have, is there one or anything that comes to mind that you've had to yeah. display? Um, I'll start with, cause I think there's like slightly different things depending on which path. Um, the one that I think people are probably really curious about is how do you go from individual contributor to manager? Uh, like making the jump to first time manager can be really challenging. I would say the way that I was able to do it, I established a strong reputation at the company Medallia. Um, so that was the company, I was an SDR for the first time uh, at Medallia. And I, you know, like we can go into the ways to like how to be a good SDR and things like that. But like I was disciplined with my time. I was really lucky that Medallia had a really strong learning culture. Like everyone was teaching each other things. Like I remember it was my second week and I asked a question about like how to think about research. And one of the SDRs like pulled me into a room and we had like the sticky paper and he drew like three circles and he was like, yeah. So like in here, like this is going to be like research on the person. And I still like, I have a very similar visual that I teach to, to new SDRs. I mean, for those that aren't watching, I'm taking notes. I want to be Zoya <laughs> when I grow up. So like apologies to the YouTubers that are watching. I'm heads down and notes taking notes. Please continue, <laughs> Professor. Uh, yeah. And no, I mean, this isn't even my work, right? Yeah, but you're um, teaching. So, okay. But... I'm going home with work and then there's teaching the work. So you are. That's true. Oh, thank you. 
Um, but yeah, he, he drew me a visual and it was like in here, like this is everything personal in this next level. This is everything company related in this next level. This is everything industry related. And he like just walked me through that framework and something clicked like before that I felt really overwhelmed with how do I how do I go about doing my research and it's funny because also you know how, how I'm saying like it's somebody else's work like there's not that many things in sales that are new I'm saying this is someone who like teaches people how to do sales I like to read about sales um but it's like a lot of the same concepts just being brought up in different ways which is good I'm not saying that critically like I think a lot of people are like nothing's new but I, I, that's okay that nothing's new. I think it's good that people continue to share things like in their own ways, with their own analogies, with their own visuals, um, because it doesn't always, always click. But it's funny because at Gong, like we call it a three by three. We're like, find three things that you can learn in three minutes. And that's like kind of an exaggeration. It's actually pretty hard to do it in exactly that time. But the gist is like, do it very quickly. And ideally you're going in those three boxes find something on like a persona, personal level, find something on a company level, find something on an industry level. Um, so it's also kind of cool to see how that comes full circle. But I say all that to say, I really paid attention to what the people who were in the seat before yeah. me had to share. And the funniest part was that they were like four to five months ahead of me, which I didn't realize like coming in, I was like, oh my gosh, they're so good. They're yeah. so skilled. And then uh, I was there for, for four to five months and I was like, oh, okay, like, like I'm one of them now. I get it. Okay. Um, and so then I like stepped into that role, right. Where I'm like, now nah, I'm like, you know, when you're like a senior in, mm -hmm. in high school or you in got college. Invited to the cool kids table. <laughs> yeah. So then I was like, I'm a cool kid now. Um, and, and it's funny cause I was only at Medallia for a year, actually. They relocated, uh, everyone on the, the SDR team to Texas. And I decided that I didn't want to move to, to Texas. I had just recently moved to the Bay area. Um, but I, I had all those connections there. Like I had really good friendships. Uh, my manager specifically, I had a fantastic relationship with her. I, from day one was extremely authentic with her. She was extremely authentic with me. Lots of vulnerable moments, lots of, you know, just, we knew each other. And that's, that's also, um, credit to her too. Right. But like we built this relationship where there was just this mutual trust mm -hmm. and she ended up, uh, getting a role at Braze. And I actually, I didn't follow her straight from Medallia, but, uh, every timing worked out yeah. and she hired me to be a first time manager, which is, which is tough, right? It's, it is really hard to go from IC to first time manager. And so I think the best advice I have there is do really good work and make sure that people know about it. Uh, make sure that you're keeping those connections with people who you've done good work in front of and then like catch up with people, like stay in touch. I'm, I've actually surprised myself. Um, it turns out I'm really good at networking. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I don't think I knew that about myself. Uh, I don't know. I don't know when I figured it out. Um, but I don't know. I've, I've always been the kind of person to like think about someone and think, oh, you know, I should check in and see how, like, I'm not a Christmas card or, or like a holiday card person. Um, but I don't know, maybe that's generational. So it's not like I'm doing that. Like I know some people who are like very organized. They send like handwritten birthday cards to people, like things like that. I don't do that. Um, 
I don't do that at all. <laughs> that's okay. But... As normal people, I think that's like a networking sociopath that's doing that, written, <laughs> writing down birthdays on note cards. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. But I do, I check in on people and I check in on people who are senior to me too. Like, I think sometimes we get intimidated to, to check in on someone who, um, I don't know, knows more than us or has a higher title than we do. But for me, it's like, if I had a good connection with you, even when I was super junior, um, I want to, I want to continue, I want to continue that connection. So network authentically, right. There's like different types of networking. There's like just meeting as many people as you can, but no, I mean like meet the people who, uh, like you vibe, right. There's like something about their values or there's something about the way that they interacted with you that you were like authentically appreciative of and like, let them know and do your best to show them that, Hey, I recognize that you poured something into me. And so every opportunity I have to show you how I took that and like made something of it, I'm going to report back to you. And I'm going to let you know, like, Hey, this definitely is connected to things that meet, you know, happened years prior. I just want to encourage everyone that's listening uh, to go back to when I stopped talking and when Zoya started talking and rewatch that. So just, yeah, take out the Blake part and you're going to be golden. I've got notes and hopefully I can show up for office hours, but like learn, learn fast, be disciplined. Uh, and you, you talked about a lot of things, which is simply the simplest way to describe it is managing up. And that's a concept that, I mean, you could, write a whole book on managing up. You could write another book on networking, uh, particularly for these early career sales professionals and, and mid-career sales professionals. So um, just fascinating stuff. And it's interesting because, again, you can apply that at any point in your sales career. You don't have to wait for a title. It's not about the position you're pursuing. It's about the person you're becoming. So keep that in mind. Uh, another question I wanted to get at was this idea of passion and growth. You talked about uh, PCI, you know, the personal, the company, the industry, let's talk about the personal, you know, how does a busy professional go about executing on passion projects? You know, you've got a couple of things that you're building on the side. More specifically, how do you balance these, these two endeavors when it feels like they're pulling you in different directions? What advice do you have for, for us on that front? Yeah, it's hard. Uh, I think I'm a little bit lucky because they're not so different. You know, like I, I could have a passion that was, like I mentioned the networking piece, right? That what's nice is that anyone I meet through my passion projects, there's a good chance that they're connected to like selling gone, right? So like if I'm, if I'm expanding my network with sales professionals, I work at a company that sells to sales professionals, right? And then people who are at Gone can be like, hey, Zoya, can you, you know, intro me to this person? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if I see that someone's involved with a deal and I met them through the enablement community, like I can hop on a call and give them perspective on how like Gong uses Gong for enablement and things like that. So, and that way I'm lucky. Like I recognize that not everyone's going to have that level of like overlap between yeah. what they want to do and, and, uh, like how, how that connects to work. You didn't get there by accident. Uh, the luck is one thing, but like the, going back to the networking, you strategically worked to get in these positions. Like you basically, you made your own luck is what I'm trying to say. You got in the way. Thank you. Luck. Yeah, that, that is true. Yeah. And I think I, I got to a point, um, 
it's again, it's like so hard because I've been on, I've been on multiple sides. Like we talked about college, right. Where I was like, I cared about the paper and paying the loans more than anything else. Right. So like at that time when I graduated school, I always had my mind on, like, I want to do something that I think is valuable. I want to do something that's like stimulating mentally, but I was also open to, uh, I didn't know that I thought that I was going to have as much of a passion when I first got into sales. I was open to just making money to pay my loan off. And so I'm always conscious about that, right? Like when I give the advice that I'm about to give, um, if you keep on working, you will get to a point where you can start to be more like picky about what you'll get leverage, right? With experience and with skill and with knowledge, you gain le leverage. Um, and then you can be really, really thoughtful about what your next opportunity was. So for me, I think it's really important to be where you're valued. And I guess I could talk a little bit more about that later. Um, and it's really important to be in a place that like aligns with your values. So I saw that to say, even just getting the role at Gong, I was at a place where I, I felt like I had that leverage, that credibility where I could really take my time and say the next company that I join, like I want to be, I want to be like a long-term employee of this company. Like I, I don't want just a job. I really want to join a company where I feel passionate about it and I feel passionate about the people and things like that. Um, so that helps, right? Like I'm also really passionate about Gong and the product and the people that I work with. And that just takes, again, I think to get that either luck or like if you're making your luck, uh, the skills and the experience and the track record so that you can sit in the interview seat and really assess for yourself, like, is this actually my number one company? And if not, like, what is my number one company? And how can I talk to them <laughs> instead of this company that I'm talking to? Um, but back to like balancing or uh did you have a question no i'm just uh, <laughs> that's my question phase sorry about that <laughs> no no i just want to i feel like i'm talking a lot i have i that's the whole point other people so, yeah. on my podcast and welcome so to thinking. podcast we're here to listen to you <laughs> um so yeah so for the the balancing piece I feel like I'm going to say things that people don't love, uh, sacrifice. I feel like people don't really love that word, <laughs> but I do. And so for me, my sacrifice is weekends. Uh, and it's a little bit of my like physical, uh, activities that I used to do. And it's a little bit of my social, so I can explain. Um, I get really into things sometimes. And so like when I moved to the Bay area, I was an athletic kid I didn't play a sport in college but I ran and I did like intramural and things like that but when I graduated college I really got into running and I started distance running and I had never I ran track in high school but like I would be so angry with my coach if she put me in the mile yeah. like I I would I think be we're devastated. all be angry to run a mile <laughs> well and I <laughs> yeah it was not fun um, and I was a middle distance runner. Like I thought that I was going to be a sprinter because I, my sport growing up was soccer and I'm very fast for a soccer player. Yeah. Um, and I got recruited to run track and 
turns out I was not very fast for a track runner. <laughs> like it's just different sprinting to get the ball and getting there first versus like starting on a block and sprinting a hundred meters. Like I got roasted. It was so bad. So bad. Um, so my coach was like, okay, you're middle distance. You're running the 800, but to train for it, she would put me in the mile and I would just like puke every time. Um, but yeah, then I was older. I was an adult. I was out of school and I was like, okay, I really want to do distance running. Uh, it's not great on my ligaments. Like I need to train a lot if I'm going to do it. I have like very loose ligaments. Um, so that was like my thing. Like I dedicated a lot of time to it. Speaking of discipline, I was really disciplined. Okay. I think we've all been roasted before. So it's not like we can't relate. It just didn't happen, you know, in a lane, hundred meters with someone faster running by us. So, I mean, you let me know, like, how do we, where do we go from there? How did, where did you go from there? Well, yeah, I, I bring it up because as an adult becoming a distance runner required a good investment of my time. Uh, like after work, basically on the weekends, things like that. And I'm not a distance runner anymore. <laughs> like that, that is the trade-off. Um, the pandemic happened and I fell off a little bit and then I started retraining. Uh, but really what ended up happening is I got more involved in the passion project. Like I, I got to a point where I consciously said, I actually don't think that I want to spend this much mental energy, like motivating myself to run. Um, there was a time when it was like really giving something to me, but it, it wasn't giving the same thing that it was giving at one point. Yeah. Um, and like, I only have so much time, you know, and I only have so many ways that I want to spend my time on the weekend and, um, and after work. And I found that I was prioritizing it less and prioritizing these side projects more. And then I made a conscious decision to do that so like when I think about things that I'm willing to uh sacrifice on if I like tiered them in terms of like things I will never sacrifice on and then I'll kind of like drop off the list um never going to sacrifice on my mental health first like I think before anything else mental health for me comes number one uh number two never going to sacrifice on my family and close personal relationships and then Number three, never going to, uh, never going to do a bad job at work. Right. Like, so those are like my three, like I must absolutely do those three things and then never hobbies or the, <laughs> yeah, didn't help myself. I tried. I tried to stop enter the Rick roll song. This is why I'm the guest host. By the <laughs> this you is Rick rolled yourself. <laughs> you recorded your podcast. Please continue. You were saying something very important. I wasn't. Bad job. Work. <laughs> Never sacrifice your work. Being yeah, I'd say like those those three things. Like especially for me right now, like those are the three things that I'm like I will never sacrifice on. Right? There's no there's no race that could make me sacrifice that. There's no passion project that can make me sacrifice that. Um, but now there's like room for everything else. There's the friends who I wouldn't say are like close family friends, but like, I like to go out with them and we have a good time. There's, uh, again, the, the fitness piece, like my mental health comes before my physical health. My physical health is also important, but I think fitness and physical health is a little bit different too. Like I think physical health for me is like my baseline. So, uh, we actually touched on this on our podcast too. I've started walking. 
uh, a way less intense. <laughs> I can uh, I can walk a mile. Let me tell you something. That mile doesn't stand a chance. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's really surprising for me. I feel like people who have known me in the past will be shocked when they hear that I'm not running and I'm walking. Um, but it's because I can only be so intense about so many things. And at the moment, I'm very intense about my passion project. So for me, the running, I was also very into acro yoga at one point, like acrobatics and, and partner yoga. Um, and that's on the back burner. That's like a hobby. Now that's something that I do on the beach with my partner for fun. But there was a time when I was like training my body for handstands and paying a personal coach and all these things. And, you know, I just, you have to choose how you're going to spend your time. And right now I want to spend my free time on my passion projects. There you go. Sacrifice, choice. And I wrote down here, I can only be intense about so many things, which there's so many things in that statement, like intensity. You can't just half-ass it. You can't just try stuff. There has to be an, an intention and an intensity about what you're doing. I want to be mindful of the time and respectful of your time. So I have one last question that relates to what we just talked about, and then we'll get to our closeout question. So you've talked about uh, burning out. You've talked about not allowing yourself to sacrifice in the wrong things. And the, the one that really stood out to me was a bad job at work. So you're a sales enablement and you have programs that you're creating, you're running. Specifically, talk to us about how do you scale programs? This is one thing to start something, right? But how do you get something to grow? We're in sales, we're in tech, we're all about growing. How do you scale programs as an enablement manager without burning out or losing your mind? <laughs> uh it's challenging um like I can give an example there's talking about like intensity or like cost benefit there's a benefit to doing in-person live sessions mm -hmm. uh or or like if we're saying live like even over zoom gong has multiple hubs so it's common right that some someone is on zoom um but that also, you know, my, my role in enablement is more than just being a trainer, right? It's more than just running onboarding. So there's a cost, right? Like if we're going to do every single session for onboarding specifically live, that's pulling me away from maybe like some of the go-to-market projects that we should be building on, right? Like, uh, at a lot of companies at Gong, right? Our most senior leader of the sales team, right? Our CRO is going to come out with OKRs. And then those leaders who report to our CRO also need to come out with their own OKRs. And those need to align to the priorities that he set. And those are usually aligned to like what the board needs to see. Uh, and they're like very strategic. Um, and sometimes, not sometimes, they're they're always going to be like broader than some of the operational stuff that we're focused on for SDR. So then it's my job to partner with the VP of the SDR org and think, okay, if we take that lens and put it on SDR, like what are the levers that we can pull here that will then have the impact that we said we wanted to have, right? Like whether it's on quality of pipeline, whether it's on quantity of pipeline, um, you know, whether it's like, cultural, maybe like, who knows what the, like, be, like we need a behavior change to have some sort of impact that the rest of the company is measuring. Mm -hmm. um, 
And it's really challenging to be able to do both, like to support in that strategic way where we're really thoughtful about how we're reporting on it. And we're putting together like one large enablement that's going to have like lots of reinforcement throughout the quarter or throughout the month versus like these program, uh, like programmatic things, right. That are just like rapidly refreshing. Yeah. Every single month we've got a new class of, of people onboarding another program that we have, we do sales MBA at Gong. And so that's a program for SDRs to get them ready to be AEs. That one refreshes every single quarter. We have, uh, a sales and SDR development bootcamp, which is different from the onboarding program, right? So we also have a, a good amount of programs. Um, and I'm talking about SDR specifically because that's the segment that I support most closely. Um, so to balance it, oh yeah. No, go ahead, to balance it. To balance it, like we do incorporate um, like on-demand content and we have a content management system and we, Sometimes we'll, whenever we can, right? We don't want to duplicate efforts. We'll combine segments where it makes sense. That's something that we recently started thinking about. How can we up-level our onboarding program so that we don't have different segment leaders running the same thing, but slightly different? How can we unify it, take what all of us have built and also make it more like a line to go to market too? Like not just something that a leader thought of in a, eh, not a vacuum, right? But let's take what all the leaders thought and put it together in a way that we can get multiple audiences together. Right. How do you avoid overwhelm? That was my question. It's like, cause in SDR, they got a lot going on. Their job is very activity heavy. So yeah, how do you avoid overwhelm for them or other folks in the sales or? I love a calendar. <laughs> like I love a color-coded calendar. I love activity blocking. Um, in enablement, it's more like project management, like it's longer term for SDR, right? It's very much like you can take your day. Yeah. Overload for the student as well. Like I just both keep going yeah. and also overload for the student. Yeah, that so that is like my job to look out for. And it's tough because in enablement, I started, you know, the episode saying like our customer are the salespeople our stakeholder is the leader of the segment. Um, and sometimes we just have to reflect back what, what's on the docket. Like, hey, we said we wanna do this, 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 and this. We also wanna be conscious about the number of hours that we're taking people off of the sales floor. And we also need to think about like learner bandwidth. Right. Do you agree that you wanna go forward with these? Or if you had to prioritize them, how would you? Um, I had a system with one of the leaders where we said we wanted to focus 80% of everything on strategic, long-term impact, connected to the go-to-market, OKRs that were set you know, from the top. And then we wanna do 20% of the operational stuff, like the stuff that are like fires, the stuff that we don't really know about, but then marketing tells us, hey, like, by the way, uh, conversions on the MQLs have gone down. And then it's like, oh, okay, like what happened? Let's dig in there, let's find out, like let's come up with, uh, reactive onboarding to this new information that we got and implement that. But this, this needs, cause it needs to be done. It's a problem, yeah. but it's maybe not connected to, you know, the high level priorities that we said that we were going to go in depth on and, and all of that. So 
it's mirroring it back and then asking for, for prioritization and challenging sometimes also, um, pushing back. But I think a lot of leaders have actually gotten really good at, at understanding learner bandwidth. Like, I think, I think organizations that do a good job getting feedback from the front lines have a better sense of the capacity from the front lines. Like if they feel like they're getting too much or if they feel like they're not getting enough. And I, I think Gong does a good job um, asking for that feedback. I, uh, it's time for our closeout question. This is a question I've been asking all our guests, uh, just a little bit of context. We talk a lot about successes and overcoming. And this question is about resilience. It's about how we navigate certain things. So I won't belabor the point. What's a mistake you're proud of? No, a mistake I'm proud of. I don't know. I, I will say, I don't really have anything I'm ashamed of. I don't think, right? I have to like really think. Good start, um, Good start to the answer. Yeah, I think it's tough. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I've made that many mistakes now. Um, but like, I think it's perspective. Do you know what I mean? That's not me yeah, like being, yes, yes, yes. Um, that's not me being like cocky. It's more that like so many, okay, I'll say that I, I really like making choices for myself. Like I always have, like as a kid, <laughs> uh, my mom used to walk me across, I was five years old, right? It's very common as a parent, you hold your child's hand and then you walk across the street. And my mom held my hand and walked me across the street and she would always do that, right? Like it was like, Zoya, hold my hand. Zoya, you have to hold my hand. And so she was like, Zoya, you have to hold my hand. And so I held her hand and we walked across the street and she let go of my hand and I ran back across the street <laughs> so that I could walk on my own without holding her hand. And so she's like, oh my gosh, like this strong little child, like she is out of her mind. So then going forward, my mom would be like, stay close to me. Like I didn't have to hold her hand, but like the contract was, I'm going to walk and you're going to walk right beside me and no one's going to hold your hand. But you know, if a car comes, like I'm going to get hit first kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, so that's like very much my personality. So I know I've made lots of mistakes there, right. By being like, I'm doing it my way. Um, but I love to do it my way. I'm hard-headed. I don't learn well, uh, if I don't. So I guess we could even say, uh, I had a massive student loan, right. After I went to Cordell, um, I'm really happy with the way that that turned out. I'm happy with the education that I got. I'm happy with the the friends that I have. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy with the education. Um, but that was kind of a my way moment. Like my parents, my parents, uh, I'm, I'm Swiss. I'm a Swiss citizen. And my parents tried very hard to get me to go to school in Switzerland. It's far, like it would have cost what my, uh, high school cost to go to school in Switzerland. Like it, it would have been a, very uh, when you talk about relative mm -hmm. a very small loan compared to what other uh what a lot of americans walk away with yeah um so you know i like it's like things like that like it's really hard for i cannot say that i regret it i did i felt a moment of regret when i saw the loan i felt a moment of regret when i realized that i hadn't paid my loan and my credit score was <laughs> terrible it was so bad um, but everything's fine now, <laughs> you know, like, 
I guess that's that's got to be the answer. Like, it's it's an answer. Um, your answer is the answer. So no stress. <laughs> no, there's no quiz. There's no quiz at the end of this one. Um, but we're coming up on time, and I want to make sure I give you space to plug anything that you're working on, anything that you'd like us to learn more about you, and where can we find you? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Zoya, I'll spell my first name, Z-O-Y-A. If you start spelling my last name, S-E-G, I think I'll come up. Uh, but the name is Zoya Zeichelbacher. Uh, things that I want to plug, I have a podcast. It's called Rep Matters. I also have an offering online. It's called Uncapped. It is specifically for aspiring SDRs or if you're new to SDR and your company doesn't have a, a strong enablement program. Uh, this course sounds about right for you. Um, I have a newsletter for folks in enablement, if you'd like to check that out. And yeah, I, I love connecting with anyone who's uh, in sales, especially people who have different perspectives, especially people who come from diverse backgrounds. So I'd love to, to get to know you. Well, we got to know you just a little bit better. And Zoya, it's been a treat. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. We're going to let you go on to continue to be great in all the things that you're doing. Thanks again. Thanks, Blake.